up, in the wake of the holiday season, Disney is doubling down on the day guest and working to secure staffing. Also, a new slate of Thea recipients was announced, and Peppa the Pig. From the Hauntrashen Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tag to Theme Park in 30, our weekly show covering the biggest news in theme park from the past week. For haunt-specific news, check back in our feed tomorrow for our weekly haunt news update, and sign up for our weekly free newsletter at the link in the show notes. And now here's Green Tag, Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Tampa, Florida, and Los Angeles, California, this is Green Tag to Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Scott Swenson, who just finished performing for the first time in a little bit. <laughs> yes, I had to. So, you know, we've been talking about staffing um, a lot on this show. And um, last night, I was the the solution to a staffing casualty. Um at, uh, at Zoo Tampa for Christmas in the Wild, I had the opportunity to go in and actually perform in a show that I conceived and, and directed originally. And boy, it's it's a lot tougher actually doing the show. But it was a show called Himprovise, Himprovise, which is uh, a show where we make up uh, new, new lyrics to Christmas carols based on the audience suggestions. And last night, unfortunately, one of the performers was not able to be there. And I had to step in, twist my arm, you know, but I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but again, it just shows that staffing is a true issue and, um, there are solutions if you've got the right people hanging out. So uh, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And it wasn't too hard to convince me to do it. I'm just saying. <laughs> it, uh, I feel like that experience kind of encapsulates the theming of the past several years where you are, uh, improvising your, your traditions <laughs> and filling in when you have to. That's right. It's 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 finding the recognizing that um, just because a problem exists doesn't mean or it means that you have to find a solution for it. And sometimes those solutions are a little more unconventional than they used to be. So mm-hmm. be, be ready to pivot. <laughs> Had to get it in there. Right. Yeah. Well, we we so I guess speaking of pivoting, we're going to have to continue to pivot because, of course, the elephant in room is the new variant, the Omicron variant. And, you know, we don't want to talk too much about this because there's not much information out yet. It's kind of, we're going to just waiting to see uh, more as more information comes in. But the, the, the thing I wanted to mention is that on Friday, the governor in New York declared a state of emergency in New York, giving her the power to order hospitals to limit non-essential procedures to boost capacity in facilities. As far as I can tell, that's all that this that happened. It's just really just declaring state of emergency for this, but in a really enable in order to just enable medical uh, freeing up of, of hospital beds. So like less medical procedures and whatnot, but not stopping tourism. Yeah. It's, it's getting, it's getting a leg up to deal yeah. with the potential, you know, it's, it's, it's thinking ahead. Um, and now we actually, because we've had the experience of what, you know, what coronavirus can do. Um, we, we have the, the foresight to make some decisions early on so that when things need to pivot, they can, and they can do it much quicker. Um, it's so funny because, you know, we keep saying, we keep thinking, oh yeah, well, we're kind of on the, we're kind of slowing things down on the coronavirus and blah, 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 blah. And, but things are still changing and they're still changing almost every day. And the reason I say that is because um, it wasn't until I, I looked at the show notes today that I realized that the new variant actually had a name. Last time <laughs> I saw it on the news, it was just a bunch of numbers. So, so now it is, uh, it is officially Omicron and I, you know, I, I gotta stay awake because 
things are changing very, very quickly, yeah. which just means we need to be much more nimble um, or just yeah. as nimble as we've been over the last two years and uh, and continue to continue to keep it moving forward and figuring out what do we do? Yeah, well, that, that's interesting you say that because that what I was thinking is you're right in that, of course, things are changing constantly where you just blink and it's like, oh, now there's an, 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 a new variant of strong concern and it's crazy and state of emergencies are back. But at the same time, it's the same type of pivot that we've seen for the past few years, right? There, and then right now, even that the tourism has not been paused yet or impacted yet. So, uh, but uh, it's the same advice that we're getting is get the vaccines, you know, th think, just do the same thing. It spreads in the same way. You know, the, 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 the way that it spread has not fundamentally changed. So at its fundamental level it has not changed. So even though it is a crazy news cycle, it's kind of like this, more of the same in that it's the same precautions we need to take. And I'm also not really sure at this point that we'll see too much of a impact of travel restrictions. So like knock on wood and like, fingers yeah, I, I, I don't think we will either, but you know, quite honestly, the stuff that the stuff that is being suggested, uh, the stuff that has, has been suggested from the very get from the get go with coronavirus has always been just good advice anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. wash, wash your hands, get your vaccine, <laughs> stay away from it. It's like being in kindergarten all over again. And and I just don't, I, I just have had such a difficult time figuring out why people fought it so much. But <clears throat> I think in this case, the one thing that I think here that is new is we didn't have any states of emergency called this early in the That's first uh, coronavirus because we didn't know what it was. So my point being is these kinds of things can happen quicker. We know what to do. And um, we recognize that this could all go to crap at any moment. Um, so we better be prepared for it. Yeah. Well, I guess speaking of the vaccines and kind of the, the same way to treat everything. I was going to um, say, however, yeah, however, however, <laughs> however, uh, however, the Walt Disney Company has paused vaccine mandates for employees. A spokesperson for the Walt Disney Company announced that the COVID-19 vaccination mandate for its employees in Florida will be paused. A Disney spokesperson had earlier told writers by email, we believe that our approach to mandatory vaccines has been the right one as we have continued to focus on the safety and well-being of our cast members and guests. At this point, more than 90% of active Florida-based cast members have already verified that they are fully vaccinated. I'm going to totally call malarkey on this one. I think <laughs> this is because they can't staff. I think this is because people aren't keeping jobs. Um, I've been involved with multiple projects where some people have literally walked off the job when they found out they had to be vaccinated. Um, so I, I think this is perhaps necessary from a business standpoint, but I think the way they're positioning it is transparently flawed. And, you know, you can't say at one time, I think we're doing a really good job. And then, you know, it, shortly after say, you know what, we're going to pause what we're doing. Um, they're stuck. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I really wish we lived in a world where a business could say that without having any ne negative ramifications. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't. But I'm, st I'm. This just does not ring true to me. This seems really yeah. fishy to me. It's like, oh, but we've, but we're ninety percent. Well, with the people you have hired now, but you know, as we as we continue to grow and as more and more people come out, um, it's going to be important to have more and more people working and if that's one of the the friction points is is getting is being vaccinated then they're they're trying to eliminate that i don't know i i don't buy it um i understand why they're doing it but they they clearly in my opinion they have not positioned it well 
Hmm. Speaking of illumination and maybe not positioning things well either. <laughs> good, good. Philip's sitting there thinking, how can I make this transition? <laughs> That's how, what I, I could actually see, I could see the wheels turning in his head. He's going, there's a transition coming up. What is it? What is it? Uh, well, so Walt Disney also, Walt Disney World also announced kind of over uh, the D20. So what happened is they kind of announced it at the very end of D23 when everything was closed at like one in the morning um, when they thought nobody was paying attention. They announced that uh, they were pausing their annual pass sales and they did not give a date for when the pause will be unpaused or when things are going to resume. I'm assuming they're just kind of pausing it through the holiday season and that in January, February, they'll resume. But uh, they have not said as much. They just kind of put everything on pause. The only one you can get is if you are a Florida resident, I think, and it's like the lowest tier. Yes. Of, but you, yeah, most of the passes are not available. So, so why? That's my question. Why? They I mean, I've got, I've got 15 different theories in my head, but Philip, why do you think this would be a good business move for them? Because let's face it, that's what they're doing right now. They're trying to make the best business moves because they, they lost so much money over the last couple of years. They're trying to make the absolute best business move. Why would they not take in money for past programs? I think the answer is it's a doubling down on their strategy of catering to the day guest. The holidays mm -hmm. see that the parks get, I mean, so I went to Disneyland and Disney California adventure with my parents for Thanksgiving. We were there on like Thanksgiving day. And then previous to that, we were at IAPA and I was at the, you know, seeing parks there and the park experience is terrible now. Well, the Disney park experience is terrible, specifically Disney because it is so expensive and, you know, I went to the Christmas party and it was $200 and it was awful. <laughs> and I went to, uh, and, and the thing is, I think it's awful, but my parents had a great time. And even the people I went with to the Disney Christmas party at Magic Kingdom, they had a great time, you know, and I think a lot of it is because, again, Disney is catering to that day guest, you know, the guests that will not notice that things are more expensive, that there's less entertainment and that the lines are long. You know, I, I, I looked at a, an after hours event that's only like three or four hours that's supposed to have no lines. I look there and I see pirates at 35 minutes and I'm like, what is this crazy nonsense? <laughs> this should be like walk on it's pirates for goodness sake, you know, and they're like 35 minutes. That's so short. And I'm like, what world are you living in? Oh yes. The, the world of a, of a tourist day guest. And that's what they want. Right. So I think that right. they're they're really just pushing as many day guests as possible to get in these gates, and they don't want the the regular people. They don't want the uh, the frequent visitors to mess that up. They want as much money on the on the day guests as possible. Yeah, they, I mean, if you have just just to put things into perspective, you know, I was looking at the at the um, Pixie Dust Pass, which is the only one that's available still, which is the, the Florida Resident Pass. And a Florida Resident Pass for a year, and yes, it has restrictions, but still, the Florida Resident Pass for a year is, um, for one person, is just slightly less than they, or sli I'm sorry, slightly more than two day admissions, two adult admissions um, for a daytime. So I think you're absolutely right. I think you're doubling down on their daytime admission. I think they're also... Um, <clears throat> I think they're also concerned uh, about, they, they want to make sure that they don't oversaturate with the, the the passes because not only can they make more money on the day, daytime single ticket sales, those people are also more likely to spend once they're in the park. People yeah. who go all the time, you know, I can't think of the last time, 
well, that's not 100% true, but I don't normally buy a whole lot of merchandise. I don't normally buy a whole lot of food when I'm there um, because, again, I don't, it's not a requirement that I try the latest food or that I take home a souvenir that I cherish for the next five years until I go again. Um, you know, I, I think that's part of it too. I also, <clears throat> I don't know, I also wonder if they're not trying to create a sense of importance to these passes, if they're not trying to build their perceived value by by all of a sudden limiting them. You know, it's sort of the same approach they would take by uh, taking their, their, well, videos back in the day when videos were being sold, and they'd only sell them every seven years. They'd put them back in the vault and bring them back so that they would have a, a renewed interest. I'm wondering if that's not part of the strategy as well. Yeah. I don't know. It just it it. I, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of interesting choices being made, and I was just wondering if you had any opinion. And I think I think we're we're kind of in agreement here. Um, but I think it's I think it works on multiple levels, which again, true Disney form. Yeah, and I think again back to our episode last week for people that want to listen when we w reviewed the was it last week or the, the week that we reviewed the shareholder the last shareholder mm -hmm. call. I mm -hmm. think those really give you a lot of insight into what they're thinking because it's not them trying to be excited for the guests. It's them trying to make the business case to the shareholders, mm -hmm. right? And I think them talking about substitutions and all that kind of like their strategies are, are just, that's kind of, if you look at that whole thing, that's the strategy. You know, why add entertainment back into the park? The people that want entertainment are the regular guests, not the day guests. Mm -hmm. And the, the day guest wants the just the classic rides. And, you know, at this point, if you've already built the ride, it is cheaper to just run the ride because of how many people it eats up and its capacity than it is to buy a whole new stage show and put that up there every hour. Right. Well, and you're absolutely right, though. Day guests, day guests do the the old, uh, to use a very old expression, day guests do the e-ticket attractions. Yes. It's the people who come on a regular basis that will check out the the live entertainment or the the secondary attractions or the the smaller bits and pieces of things. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I it's it's interesting because right now locally, uh, and again, I'm uh, just to put it, things into perspective for people who don't know. Florida, uh, Tampa is about an hour and 20 minutes, uh, away from, um, Walt Disney world mm -hmm. or four hours, depending on how the traffic is on I four. But anyway, um, it, the people here have all been saying the locals have been saying, we're not going back to Disney until they get their stuff together. Yeah. Because it's, as you just said, Philip, the, the expectations are not being met. And I think that is a poor choice at this point in time. But if it's necessary for their business model, okay, you know, but yeah. they're, they're, they're charging more and giving less. And yeah. that's what everybody in Florida is saying right now, or everyone I've talked to in Florida is saying right now. Well, and my, my, one last point, because I've had this conversation multiple times, if they're, I, I think the way that we're thinking of the classic model, it doesn't make sense because we, we even in the pre-show, we talked about loyalty and building that loyalty with people and whatnot. But if you flip that whole thing on its head, and if in theory you could get a whole new group of people every day that all they wanted to do was the e-ticket attractions and they were willing to spend like five times as much as the regular guests, if that could work in theory, that is genius. And then you don't have to care about the guests. You don't have to care about any of these things because nobody remembers. Like <laughs> the people in the park, you know, like my parents don't remember how long the lines usually are. They don't 
you know, they have they don't have that memory that the regular guests do. So if you could switch all your guests over to that guest that has no institutional memory and they think everything you do is fantastic and they just want to have the e-ticket attractions and they'll spend like five times as much. Wow, that's brilliant. Which is great as long as the tourism market stays afloat. Correct. Correct. But that's just my thinking in terms of I mean, let's let's be going. honest. Going back going back to 9-11, um, at that point in time, I was working, I was still working for Bush Gardens. And at the time, Bush Gardens has had a really strong season pass base. So they were about 50% tourism, 50% local. And Disney was like 90-10 at the time. And 9-11 killed them because nobody was traveling. But Bush Gardens was fine because we just shifted our focus to the the local base. Now, yep. Bush Gardens has all kinds of other issues and challenges and, and you know, no theme park is ideal. Um, but it, it's clear that they are banking on uh, that they are banking on the on tourism and travel being open and available in the near future. Well, <laughs> the only transition I can think of to our next topic uh, is that they're banking on that so much, in fact, that when the Theas were announced, no Disney park received a Thea. <laughs> there was wow. a Disney... Here we are uh, digging yeah. on Disney again. We got to stop that. <laughs> there, what, maybe, there, there was a... Uh, there was a Disney property mentioned, and uh, I don't know if it's irony or not, but it, it is uh, Gideon's uh, Bakehouse in Disney Springs. Yeah, weather retailtainment experiences. Really yeah. retailtainment experiences, which is, which is what a what a right on there. That's all you really need to know. Uh, <laughs> well, but I will tell you, you know, I I have not. I will be honest. I have not seen the inside of Gideon's Bakehouse because, as a local, I will not wait two hours to go in and buy baked goods. So that's just me, I know, um, but uh, but no, I, I from from what everybody tells me, it's you know <laughs> it's a it, wonderful it, bakehouse. I don't know, amazing experience. <laughs> I don't know, um, I don't know. Well, yeah. So the uh, 20th annual Thea Awards, of course, were announced on November 16th. There was a week of IAPA. We didn't bring them up last week because we had a lot of you know kind of other IAPA news to talk about. But I we wanted to make sure that we did. Talk about the Theas. Um, we don't really, um, I think there, there's going to, of course, be a physical event this year again, which is very exciting. I think the physical events are very fun and they're, they're neat to see the case studies, presentations, and then get to network with everyone. And, and these really are quite phenomenal projects. And the case studies are just brilliant because it's pretty rare, I think, in the industry where you get to hear from the, the people who put it all together and you get to see the full credit list for everything that's done, you know, that's not, um, I think a lot of the other things we see are like fan stories or, or, you know, guest reactions or PR or marketing, you know, and this is the, the people themselves, the creators presenting about the creation of the project. And it's just a different perspective you get with these, which is you know, why I like them. Well, and, uh, and, and, and of course, Philip, you, you have to be proud because you got, you were involved with what, two of the, two of the recipients. Yeah. So we are, in i'm like looking so we're in super nintendo world it has a lot of gantam products which received a thea for the theme park land at universal studios japan and we are also in the secret life of pets which received a outstanding uh award for attractions for and that's at universal studios hollywood so we were in i know that we were featured in those two quite heavily um, I'm not sure if we made it into some of the other ones. Um, you know, 
sometimes they don't really tell us. <laughs> That's the thing about about it is that the 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 Gantam fixtures have a way of sneaking everywhere, and they don't always tell us that they're in it. But we we do know because we we did um, those are kind of big uh, projects that we were looking at, so we know about those too. Very cool. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not nearly as cool as Philip is. I wasn't actually directly involved in any of them. However, um, I do have some very, very dear friends at Fort Edmonton Park that um, received um, Athea for their Indigenous Peoples Experience, which uh, is, uh, I was, so I was working with them um, on Dark, which was their Halloween experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I spent a lot of time up in, uh, up in Edmonton, Alberta. And the team up there it's the it's the people that make that place so incredible and the reason i'm so excited that uh, their indigenous people experience is being recognized as something really special is it so makes sense with their brand because what they did you know fort edmonton park is an outdoor museum it's an outdoor history museum mm -hmm. and the multi the different areas of the outdoor experience represent uh, Edmonton at different times in its history. So different specific eras, um, there are buildings and um, uh, live performers doing interactions and, ed and edutainment, for lack of a better description. Um, and you kind of just wander and meander back in time all the way back to uh, Fort Edmonton, which was kind of the, the, the founding of it, um, or so we thought. And, uh, and I think the fact that they're now including the indigenous people's experience is great because that just kind of takes it and, and says, well, history doesn't start when the white man shows up. You know, this is, this is a whole, uh, this is a much deeper and much richer exploration of their existing brand. And when I was, when I was working there, they had just internally announced that they were going to be building this. And this was several, a couple years ago. And, uh, they, uh, I, I'm just, I was just very excited to see it on this list because the people there truly deserve all kinds of, of recognition and hopefully it will get more and more people up there to experience this, this incredible, um, outdoor museum that, uh, whether you're into history or not, it's just a lot of fun and it gives you the opportunity to kind of stroll back in time. So, um, mm -hmm. kudos FEP. There yes. you go. I'll just add that. I, I think that the team is, is also phenomenal in that they care so much about these, about the industry and about the guest experience too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and obviously they were able to convey that and, and put together the right team. Because yep. when you when you look at who was involved in that, and I'm not going to go into it because I know I'll miss somebody and somebody will get really angry with me. But take a look at the show notes. Take a look at the Thea Press announcement. And um, you'll get a chance to see they put together a phenomenal team of designers and fabricators um, to to build an experience. And... It, if I had read, if I had read the dossier of who was involved uh, and where it was going to be prior to the announcement, I'd go. This is this is guaranteed to win something because it's um, it's a perfect storm, and I and I'm I'm glad this this worked out for them. So, kudos to my friends in Edmonton. Okay, well, now our final section here, we're going to go through some of the openings that we didn't touch on, kind of previous openings that were I think spattered throughout the week of IAPA and or. I don't know. There's been holidays. There's been IAPA. There's been a lot of crazy stuff. We missed a few things. So we're circling back to make sure that we we do give uh, give kudos. The first one is, of course, the Peppa Pig theme park at Legoland, Florida, which was a that was a big deal during IAPA. And, and I, you know, Scott knows some of the folks involved and it was it was mm -hmm. it's been a big project in in the works. And I think the main takeaway from this one is that it's opening as a certified autism center. And it's not so to kind of just give a quick summary. It's not just 
little changes. It, it's like the ride vehicles are built specifically to allow for wheelchairs to be able to be rolled into them. It's specifically built for like the kid's perspective instead of the adult perspective. And so the perspective shifts are different and it's built for the kids in mind. And also this also includes training. They're getting specialized training for the people who like work in that land for their staff. So it's just, it's a great thing, especially in this area where we just talked about staffing issues and all these it's all this crazy restrictions and the re the reduction of entertainment. This it's very great to see kind of the opposite where they're investing in their team. They're investing in the experience to make it more inclusive. And something I'm going to borrow a phrase that somebody mentioned to me at IAPA during the interview that they are creating a seat at the table for somebody. Mm -hmm. They're not just taking a seat and putting like a booster on it. They're creating a seat. And I think that, that, that is a, a key shift in direction um, to, to go from the not just having a ta existing table and just modifying stuff to make it kind of kind of fit, you know, retrofitting for uh, a, for someone with disabilities, but creating a unique seat for that person is a very different take on it. And what I think is so exciting to see is, you know, for years, theme parks have um, been very loud and saying, you know, we're bigger, faster, louder, more exciting, more da 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 da, da which these are, these are just almost curse words to families um, who, have, uh, who have children or family members who are somewhere on the spectrum, especially if they're more severe. And it, it just becomes very, very difficult to find things that uh, kids on the autism spectrum are able to enjoy and experience that don't become unpleasant for them. So this is taking that focus and, as you say, creating a seat at the table, uh, making it so that here's a place specifically for you. Now, my guess is this will have a great um, sort of halo effect and that if they are going there with their siblings, their siblings are going to have a great time too. Um, I think this is going to expand and I think we're going to discover that by focusing on the simplistic play, it's going to not only... Uh, be enjoyable for anyone who is affected with autism, but also their siblings and their families, because it'll be something that every, everyone can do together. And I think that's going to be a really unique uh, foothold for them in the industry. And of course, Peppa Pig is such a great, um, such a great IP to work into this. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. And I, and my, my heart is warm that this is, this is one of the steps that the industry is, someone in the industry is doing, which of course is Legoland. So way to go mm -hmm. guys. Okay, so our next story is an uh, innovative photo at Field Museum allows guests to capture memories unaided. And I'm going to, mm, I think, maybe break away from the story a tiny bit and really talk more about the underlying technology, which is essentially <laughs> where a guest, well, so the, the park puts a professional camera out in a photo spot area. And the way I think of this is it's taking it's removing the need to have a photographer there take pictures. A lot of attractions, of course, you have those, the, the spots, you know, are good photo spots. People always take pictures in. So there's been, there's, you know, it's typical to sit a photographer there or take pictures. And you usually have the, the big camera that the park has, uh, or they can take camera, take photos with the self, with the cell phones of the guest. So essentially what this is, is you, put the camera there and you kind of lock it into position. You put a like weatherproofing around it and theming around it, whatever. And then the guests can scan a QR code on the camera. Uh, 
and that allows them to control the shutter. So they get into position. There's a little like um, like preview camera display, so you can see yourself like a selfie. You get into position, and then you press the shutter, and then the images are sent to your phone, but you then can also like have the option to send them to the park to order them, to get them printed, and the park can put on a special frame or logo or what branding that is sent to you. So I think the key in all this story for me, like the big takeaway for me is I'm like, oh, this is like potentially eliminating the photographer from theme parks. That's the thing for me. But I know Scott has a some interesting points on it, so I want to get his take. Well, I, I, I just don't... <sighs> So we have to, I have two questions. I have two big questions. Number one, how do most people relive photographs these days? They're not going through photo albums like I used to. They're scanning them through on their phones. So elevating the quality of the camera is not going to impact the majority of people who are taking these selfies with their families, number one. And number two, I don't think they're going to know how to use them after they scan the QR code. So I think that's a huge, a huge friction point with the way this has been described to me. Now, I've not experienced it, so it may be really simple, but if you have to set up the shot, um, first off, I, I think throughput is going to be horrendous. And secondly, I think that there are going to be people who are just like, oh, just take a selfie. Or would you, here, let me just hand you my phone. Would you please take this? Um, so I'm not sure that that's going to, I'm not sure that's going to pay off um, because, again, it's still true that a printed photo sells more than a downloaded photo. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Um, <clears throat> so I, I just and, – and secondly, I understand the need for 86-ing the, the, the photographers, <clears throat> but if it's a free download, you wouldn't have had a photographer there anyway. So I don't know whether it's really doing that or not unless it's all for the retail market. Um, well, so – I guess I would say even when you do have a photographer there that is taking photos that you pay for, you I you always I always see people asking that photographer to take pictures mm -hmm. with their actual camera. So I think that kind of thing is a moot point. And then I also think like it takes a while for everyone to get in the photo. And I, I just I like the idea of people being able to preview the photo so they know what they're doing. Cause I think that's a big piece of the experience that's missing. Cause you never really know what the, the you know professional photographer. You're that is a all true. That is all true. Um, so these people yeah. would not care about that, I don't think. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I may be completely wrong, but we'll see. I think the proof is in the pudding, and um, we'll we'll see how it works out. I think it is a knee jerk response to uh, COVID and not wanting to hand off your phone to somebody um, without hand sanitizers. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I and I think it's too late. And. I, I don't know. I may be completely wrong, but this just does not excite me. And I think it's got a lot more trouble than it has um, potential. But that's, again, I've been very wrong before. That's my opinion. Well, and and I guess we're going to end on my opinion because we're out of time. <laughs> no, and the, and the funny thing is, Philip, I do see all of your points, but I want you to just to remember that you are a professional photographer and most families are not. So... You can use these all over the place. That'd be great. Yes, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, I, I love them. I'm so happy. <laughs> I know. You are so tickled by them. Um, so anyway, that is the end of this week's show. Thank you all so much for listening, um, especially for those of you who listen every week. And we, when we were at IAPA, we did see quite a few people who came up to us and said, we love the show. We listen all the time. Um, if, you, if you do listen to the show and you think other people will enjoy it, once again, please 
share the show with them. We are available pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Um, if you want to check out the show notes, go to greentagshow.com. And until next week, on behalf of Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and the Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson with Scott Swenson Creative Development, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. We'll see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.